Hi, and welcome to this podcast brought to you by the wellbeing team at Kellogg's. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a dietitian, and today I have two experts on gut health with me. I'm super excited to hear them share their knowledge and tips. So Glenn and Laura, welcome. It's really great to have you here. Would you mind introducing yourselves? Hi. Hello, Priya. Uh, my name is Glenn, Glenn Gibson. I'm a microbiologist and I'm at the University of Reading. And hello. Uh, my name is Laura Tilt. I'm a registered dietitian and a health writer. And we know each other, don't we? We do. So yeah. It's really it's nice. lovely surprise to be yeah, here with you today. Really surprising. <laughs> Gut health is what we're here to talk about, isn't it? Such a hot topic right now with lots of new research coming out all the time, it feels like. It can be really hard to stay abreast of it, which is where you come in, starting with fibre. So traditionally, we've always talked about fibre as being good for digestive health. And certainly, remembering my time working on the wards as a dietitian, one of the top questions that you always asked a patient was, how are your bowels today? However, there has to be more to fibre than just this. So Laura, I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on fibre and gut health. Why is fibre so good for us? Mm, That's a really good question. I think maybe what we need to do first is think about what we mean when we talk about gut health or good gut health because it's ev- right. it's everywhere, isn't it? it I is. feel like barely a day goes by where we don't see um, some kind of news article about, about gut health or what's good for gut health. And so it might be a surprise to hear that there's actually no official definition of gut health. Or that is surprising. Health. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, but I guess we can think about several criteria, you know, that, that can help us understand what good gut health is. Uh, so, you know, you and I would probably explain to somebody that, you know, if your gut is healthy, it's able to digest and absorb, you know, all the nutrients in your diet effectively, which will yeah. obviously affect your overall health as a whole. Um, we can think of good gut health as, you know, you have regular bowel movements or you're able to poo regularly, you know, and, w- and without pain. Um, I think good gut health, we would think of it as, you know, symptoms like bloating and constipation are rare. You know, it's, we all, do sometimes get a bit of heartburn, maybe when we've eaten late at night or you know, the occasional episode of bloating uh, when we've overdone the hummus. <laughs> but generally speaking, those symptoms should be occasional and they shouldn't kind of be there every day. And also, you know, we're seeing more and more research um, uh, sort of indicating the importance of having a kind of stable and balanced microbiome um, yes. and one that's kind of robust uh, in, and resilient in terms of attacks from, you know, antibiotics, for example. Um, but those that's kind of much harder to quantify, I guess, because most of it, we can't see our microbiome. It's inside us. You know, um, it's, and what is our microbiome? Just remind good us. Good question. <laughs> so the microbiome is the collection of microbes, so um, bacteria, yeast and fungi that live inside the digestive tract and all the genes that they control. And you have microbes that live throughout the length of your digestive tract, but most of them live in the large intestine or the colon uh, because it's a, a great environment for them there, like little oxygen, and they that, they really thrive in, in the large intestine. And that's where you'll find most of... Um, most of your gut bugs. So what does fibre do for us in terms of overall health? Yeah, so in terms of overall health, so we, most of us associate fibre with um, helping us poo regularly, and it does. Uh, So fibre can increase... uh, movement of waste through the gut so it can speed that up uh, fiber can also bulk out our poo so it actually um, can um, make defecation or make having a poo easier um, and also fiber is nutrients for your microbes so just like you need meals so do your microbes and fiber actually feeds the the um, microbes in your gut so it's super important for those reasons and then sort of outside of gut health we know that um 
high fiber diets are associated uh, with a reduced risk of some conditions, so um, things like heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Um, and so in the UK, sort of because of all the research, um, it's advised that we aim for about 30 grams of fiber a day. Which doesn't necessarily mean sound anything. like <laughs> much, but on the other hand, it also does sound like a lot. Yeah, I think the problem sometimes with uh, sort of dietary recommendations, obviously, you know, you all know this obviously as well, they don't, they're not very meaningful to sort of general population. So um, something like five bits of fruits and veg is quite easy to understand. Although, you know, again, if we go to 80 gram portions, what does that mean? So um, 30 grams of fibre is a target that you and I understand and sort of maybe healthcare professionals, but our challenge is in um, helping general population understand what 30 grams is, how much that looks like and how they can get 30 grams in their diet on a daily basis. Uh, because at the moment, uh, research studies show that we're only getting about nine 19 grams on average. I have seen some lovely illustrations. I think it's the British Nutrition Foundation yeah. showing you exactly what 30 grams of fibre looks, looks like, like in yeah. your day, which makes it feel a lot more achievable. And tangible, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So after the, so the 30 gram recommendation um, came from SACAN, who are the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition. And they're sort of a body of um, a body or a group of experts that advise the government on nutrition. And they, uh, in 2014, they had a look at all the evidence to do with carbohydrates and health um, to sort of see if we needed to update where we were in terms of how much carbohydrate, you know, it's, it's recommended that we eat. Uh, and they concluded that about 50% of our calories should come from carbohydrate. Um, so that wasn't a change. But what was a change is that they recommended that we increase our fibre intake to 30 grams a day. Um, and following the publication of that report in 2015, the British Nutrition Foundation uh, did this really interesting modelling work that you're talking about. So they went and spoke to lots of members of the public and asked them how they felt about carbohydrates and fibre and their understanding. Uh, and one of the things that was really interesting, um, which I think we have to tackle, is that a lot of people have quite a negative um, opinion of carbohydrates, you know, that we've had lots of stories about carbohydrates, you know, can, uh, are linked to obesity and, you know, maybe they're, maybe that's, you know, that's why we've got a, a problem with obesity in the UK. Um, and several sort of comments that people make around carbohydrates, so they make me feel sluggish and bloated and yeah. tired. And they've become targeted, haven't they? They've become exactly, bad thing to Exactly. Eat. So that's certainly one thing that we need to address, I guess, and, and talk about, um, and reassure people actually the there isn't any evidence that, you know, high fibre carbohydrates or a high fibre diet is associated with weight gain. It's actually can be protective. Um, high fibre diets can help us feel satisfied and can actually help balance our energy levels as well. Um, but going back to the modelling work that they did, they sort of had a look at what we would need to do to achieve 30 grams of fibre in our diet every day. Um, and their research showed that we needed to we need to consume between five and eight portions of fruits and vegetables a day, which, we, is, a lot. which is a lot, a lot more than what we're having because the the average intake is about. 3.6 to 4 portions I think a day uh, we would need to have whole like high fibre starchy foods so maybe things like wholemeal pasta or wholemeal bread uh, with two out of our three meals um, and we we needed to be snacking on things like dried fruits nuts seeds uh, and using pulses so things like chickpeas and lentils regularly in our meals um, and then they turned all this information into a there's a seven day meal plan which you can which is really really great to have a go and have a look at online um and that's really helpful because that's something that we can give to you know patients or people that we're speaking to around fiber and show them what 30 grams looks like but I think you'd probably agree that if you look at that as a healthcare professional it's um it's a long way from where lots of people currently are with their diet 
Yeah, it's making small steps, isn't it? Encouraging people to make those small changes that could just be something like switching their bread or switching to a higher fibre breakfast cereal or adding another portion of fruit in. Exactly. So one of the things that I normally say is, you know, it would be easy to get overwhelmed and think, where do I start? Or I've got to make all these changes at once. But really kind of sort of maybe in writing down what you eat in a day and then just literally starting with breakfast and making one change at a time. Um, and yeah, sometimes even just comparing breakfast cereals, so comparing the label. So when we're looking at um, cereals or sort of any carbohydrate foods and we want to look at their fibre uh, content, we can look at the um, look at the back of the label or look at the label on the back of the packet and we're looking at the per 100 grams information. And uh, if a food contains six grams of fibre or more per 100 grams, that's classed as a high fibre food. So even comparing to breakfast cereals, for example, when you're in the supermarket, flipping over the packets and seeing, you know, does if can you change from one which maybe has three grams of fibre per 100 grams to one which has kind of eight or 10 grams of fibre per 100 grams. Top tip. I love that. Let's talk prebiotics. Glenn, could you give me a definition of what a prebiotic is, please? So prebiotic is is essentially a substrate or a nutrient source for the positive bacteria which are, which are which are in the gut, and so our collection of gut microbes has. Um, bugs which are very positive for health, some which are neutral, which is most of them actually, and some which are pathogenic or negative for health. And what we would like to do is to stimulate the positive ones at the expense of the others. And that's what a prebiotic does. So it's a kind of dietary fiber, but has a very tailored or selective fermentation or breakdown. And it is only by the bugs which are good for gut health and it just ha- so happens that these bacteria which are you know examples of them are called bifidobacteria or lactobacilli do not make gas so often with a prebiotic diet you get less gas than is otherwise produced oh. but you still get the benefits of the fiber so for instance with people with ibs who um, often complain of, of bloating and abdominal discomfort um, a, a, a recommendation is to reduce their intake of fermentable carbohydrate but that would not apply necessarily to prebiotics where gas is is not an issue and then there are a whole load of other potential health benefits that prebiotics can exert, can exert through targeting these these allegedly beneficial bugs which are already resident so a prebiotic is basically the food for the beneficial bacteria yeah. and by feeding those beneficial bacteria potentially we're reducing our wind yeah yeah and it's also a type of dietary fiber mm-hmm. so it's going to be aiding the fiber mm-hmm. throughout the body but if you're somebody who suffers from something like IBS on the windy bloating side then re- increasing your prebiotics yeah. may help You've kind of got to be careful with the dose. If you go too high, the selectivity of the f- of the breakdown by the bacteria may be compromised, and then it would behave like a standard fibre, and gas may may occur. And that means that other bugs, apart from the you know the the, uh, the the clear beneficial ones, may be getting involved in in the in the fermentation. Um, but even aside from the 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 wind or, or the gas the gas re- reductive effects, there are other beneficial aspects that the the bacteria can exert for instance reducing our risk of infections in the gut and elsewhere um, stimulating the immune response and then there's a whole load of of clinical states or, or, or which are being kind of managed through prebiotic use or the reduction of their risk is is being managed 
And then the sort of classical example I would come up with of, of a prebiotic is actually human breast milk um, because it is full of prebiotic oligosaccharides. And we do know and have known for years that a breastfed infant has very high levels of bifidobacteria in his or her gut, which does not occur during formula or bottle feeding. And we've always known that breast is best. There are fewer infection rates, there are fewer atopic issues like eczema and asthma. And this is almost certainly one of the main reasons why. Wow. I mean, so what a prebiotic is, if you like, in a, in a simple sense, is trying to achieve is the kind of gut bacterial makeup that a breastfed infant has. Now, that will never occur because breastfed is the is really the gold standard. But as if we can get as close to that as possible, that is a very desirable outcome. And it doesn't matter whether we're a, a formula-fed infant, a, a teenager, an adult, an elderly person, or particular um, populations who, who are exposed or have a risk of, of clinical clinical state related to the gut, that desire to get near to the prof, nearer to the profile of breastfeeding is really what a prebiotic is all about. It sounds like there's a lot more benefits to having prebiotics than I previously thought. So we've got benefits for the immune system. What were the other benefits, just in short? So the, what they do is stimulate particular types of bacteria in a very selective manner. And then when that happens, those bacteria then exert their own health benefits. And so the prebiotic is the fuel. It kicks the bugs into life, um, as I said, selectively, and they increase and then things happen. And one of the things which is um, very um, marked is that the bugs which, which do respond to prebiotics are very good at inhibiting the negative microbes. So it's a way of actually trying to reduce our risk of infections, for instance. And you know, when there's a there's a food poisoning outbreak, um, said, you know, all of us in, in, in this room, if we all ate something which was contaminated today, we'd be very ill over the weekend. Um, some of us would be extremely ill, some of us less so. And that would be kind of related to the levels of positive bacteria which we have in our gut. Because those of us who have the higher levels of the beneficial bugs will be able to ward off the infection. And so there's research in this now uh, quite extensively in trying to reduce the risk of infections in people who travel to high-risk destinations for their holidays or people who are at risk of infections like high-performance athletes. There's a lot of interest from the sporting community in using uh, prebiotics, military, um, people who are taking a lot of antibiotics, people who are in stressful situations and really trying to reduce or mitigate um, infectious rates. Uh, the other issue is, is, as you said, the boosting of the immune response, which again helps to, to reduce infections, but also prebiotics because they're the bacteria which respond to them produce acids in the lower gut. Um, there is a better um, sequestration of calcium and magnesium. So there are implications for improved bone health as, as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then moving into more sort of um, chronic situations like irritable bowel and inflammatory bowel disease. There's there's research even on, on those now. And then, I mean, it just goes on and on. So it sounds like yeah, the list is yeah. endless. And I guess this is an area where research is ongoing. Yeah, well, research is always ongoing. You is. know, you never hear a scientist say they're finished um, and go home, you know. Um, so, I mean, even areas like cognitive function and uh, obesity are even being looked at. 
So when we're walking around the supermarket and we're trying to pick up foods that contain prebiotics, what do we look for on the label? Uh, so we would need to either look for the name of the prebiotic. So we would, we would be looking for inulin uh, or FOS, which stands for fructooligosaccharide. But I think you can understand why they might not put that on the label. Yeah, or uh, GOS, which stands for galactooligosaccharide. So also you're either looking for the name of the prebiotic or you would be looking for... Um, the source of the prebiotic. So you might see, for example, uh, inulin comes from chicory root fibre. So you might be looking for that instead. Is there any information that we can give to people on other ways they can get prebiotics into their diet? So are there any supplements you would recommend? Yep. So there are, we're starting to see as we're seeing more and more research into prebiotics and the the benefits um, for the gut microbiome. And as Glenn said, benefits go beyond the gut as well for our immune function and potentially bone health. Um, So we are starting to see that prebiotics are being put into things like yogurts and also bars. Um, Generally, I think prebiotics are tending to sort of end up in sort of foods of cereal category and sort of, you know, yogurts and bars, that type of things. Um, So in terms of who I would recommend a supplement for, I guess, as Glenn said, there's been a little bit of research around using prebiotic supplements in uh, individuals with IBS. So it'd be really interesting to see that kind of research evolve. Um, And I think the other thing to remember is that we can't necessarily predict what's going to happen when somebody starts to eat more prebiotics or more fiber. And one of the things that's quite interesting is that we're seeing that it's someone's current microbiome that will actually influence how they respond to dietary changes. So there was quite an interesting study recently, which was um, co-authored by Kings. um, And they looked at um, what happens in people when they sort of gave them a prebiotic supplement. Uh, But some people had a naturally low fiber diet and some people had a naturally high fiber diet that was kind of habitually what they did uh, and they found that people who kind of habitually had a high fiber diet actually had a better response to the prebiotic supplement so it'll be interesting to see so you almost need to have that background diet fiber in your diet in the first place to maybe get the response from the prebiotic yeah potentially and it's also looking like you know it depends on the sort of balance of microbes that are already in your gut as to how you might respond to a supplement as well so be interesting to see how that research evolves I think I think I'd also add the elderly population as well you know the population is getting older and it is a recognized fact that as we get older our levels of the positive bacteria do show a marked decrease Um, and that's been proven now in firstly in Japan and then in Europe, North and and South Europe, but also by recent studies in Ireland as well as the USA. So it seems to be a a common trend that that when we we do age, our levels of the positive bugs do um, become more compromised. And so there's quite a a lot of research interest to try and reverse that trend. And uh, prebiotics for for elderly persons, gut health are really kind of coming into their own now. And um, Laura mentioned some of the food which which prebiotics have been supplemented into, but they're also available actually as supplements. And so you can basically buy them and sprinkle them on, even put them in your tea or coffee or or in other drinks or, or on your cereal or, or, or whatever. So we, we do um, have this issue that the term prebiotic is not used on labels. And so it's very yeah. difficult, I think, to, to be aware of how much we are getting in a normal diet and what steps we need to, to, to take to address any deficiencies if they occur, but happily that, you know, those 
the more transparency over the types of of, uh, claims which are made against the health effects of prebiotics will translate into hopefully better labelling in the near future. I love the idea of prebiotic tea. (laughs) (laughs) And is there a better time of day to be consuming your prebiotics or does it not matter? It, it can, I mean, I think, you know, prebiotics are pretty much for everyone because, you know, I often hear, well, I, you know, I've got nothing wrong with my gut and um, everything is fine, so I don't need this. And the second very common argument is that, well, we've coped as a civilization um, for, 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 for years and years and years without these and we've done okay. Well, there's two things to say there. Firstly, you know, you might be healthy now, but you have no idea what's around the corner. Um, and so a lot of what prebiotics do is to help build better resistance to challenges which may may hit us that, that we, we really cannot predict and, and don't know about at, at any particular stage. And secondly, I'm not so sure that we have done that well in 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 previous civilizations because the population is living longer now than than it ever has, and so um, I think and and also actually prebiotics have been in use um, for for probably thousands of years by humans, but. Um, have not been recognised as, as such because it is a relatively new concept. But the hunter-gatherer diet, for instance, would be very, very rich in in prebiotics. And we actually have samples in our research lab from um, archaeological digs. These are coprolites or human fecal remains, and some of them go back to over 6,000 years. Um, and things like the agave plant were, were, were kind of the staple diet of these, these people. And uh, we find quite a lot of agave fibre in the coprolites, and agave is a very rich source of inulin or fos. So, so it's a go- Yeah, <laughs> so ah. that's, that's, that's right, yes. Um, so, yeah, so... So the, the you know the the, the elderly um, research um, as we as we get older we're more prone to infections we have l- extra levels of low grade inflammation in the gut which causes issues and I I do think this is linked to the re- reduced levels of of bifidobacteria in particular and other ben- beneficial bugs which occurs as we age so you know the route of of using a prebiotic in that particular population should show uh, a great deal of success I think So let's just recap. I mean, what are the top prebiotic foods that people could be aiming to eat? Mm. Uh, in no particular order. <laughs> uh, onions, garlic, artichokes, asparagus, leeks. Uh, banana. Chicory root, greenish yeah. bananas. So kind of, yeah. I'm actually, I do prefer kind of a greenish banana. But yeah, they do yes, have more do prebiotic fibre in them. Um, and wheat bran fibre as well. Yeah. I think that's most That's most of them. I mean, there's, yeah. as I said, we said, there's sort of varying levels in lots and lots of different foods. But those are probably the, the top ones. And also cereals as well. And um, um, to, you know, to, to, to that end, um, the issue of when to take a prebiotic, um, you know, pretty much any time of the day is fine. But if you were to pick one, it would be breakfast time. And that kind of makes sense because overnight the gut is sort of rested. So food isn't constantly 
going into the large intestine while 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 we were asleep overnight, and so you wake up and your gut is fairly rested and just ready for that hit of a prebiotic in the morning. So, when we do our volunteer trials, we we do say to the to the to the volunteers, you you can take this any time, but if we would prefer it if you took it at breakfast time because the gut flora or the gut bugs are just ready and waiting for their first um, substrate or, or or food of the day, and they will respond effectively to that. And what would be a great gut health prebiotic breakfast? <laughs> I hate to say onions, leek, garlic, and asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, there is research on on bran as as, as a prebiotic. Um, I think, you know, the research needs to point towards human studies. Um, those are what convinces me about what is a prebiotic and what the health benefits are. But Bran has been researched in that regard. Other pr- products which contain starch are also similar. Corn, um, so corn is a good source of, of prebiotics and so are oats and so things like porridge as well would, would, be, would be good. So it's, it's kind of the standard cereals would, would provide a f- certainly the fiber content and with luck a good source of prebiotics as well with a good topping of onion and garlic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lovely maybe maybe, maybe banana <laughs> <laughs> coming towards the end here i'm thinking laura could you give your top 3 tips for gut health mm, okay so number 1 probably it's not it's not diet related but um I, everybody needs to take an interest in their poo (laughs) it's going to be my first tip and you know we we hear a lot of conversation around um the microbiota and our microbiome and the importance of kind of a robust and diverse microbiome but for the average person that's we can't really tell you know our microbiome resides inside uh and, and we can't see it and although obviously you know testing is becoming more widely available there's still lots of questions around that and we actually there's uh still a lot of I wouldn't say confusion, but we still, there's probably no universally healthy microbiome, but what we can all agree on is that a diverse microbiome is important. Uh, But that's not something that we can't hold a mirror up to our tummies and see what's going on in there. So, but two, um, a really important indicator of what's going on in our guts is our bowel regularity or how often we're going to the loo. So I think knowing what's normal for you is really important. So, um, not all of us poo every day. It's not um, that's not necessarily the norm, but um, generally speaking, we sort of say anywhere from three times a day to three times a week is kind of considered normal. normal um, yeah. But importantly, you should be able to um, have a poo without any pain. Um, that's really important. And also, we need to think about symptoms as well. So, whilst having the occasional episode of bloating, or sometimes being constipated, particularly maybe when you've done some travelling or you know you've been out of your normal routine as normal, having sort of symptoms on an ongoing basis is generally a sign that your gut's not happy. Um, and again, if you notice a change in your poo, so perhaps you're going much more often than normal or much less often than normal, uh, you're finding you're experiencing pain or your poo is really difficult to pass, and that goes on. Uh, Uh, that goes on for longer than a couple of weeks. It's really important to chat to your GP so that they can rule out any underlying conditions Um, because the problem is that, you know, um, symptoms like constipation can uh, simply be constipation, but they sometimes can be a symptom of another underlying condition. So really important to get that ruled out. So, yeah, I would say know your poo. That's what I'm campaigning for. (laughs) That's my first tip. Um, So pay attention to your stools and any symptoms. Um, And secondly, you know, the focus of, 
what we've been talking about today is fibre. And I think we need to learn to love fibre. We've kind of fallen out of love with carbs a bit, I think, over the... Oh, yeah, yeah. there's been quite a lot about that, hasn't mm. there? People just aren't eating yeah. enough carbohydrates. And I think, you know, protein's had the limelight um, for quite a few years now. And as, you know, a few of us, or not a few of us, but what I hear quite commonly is that people are, you know, apprehensive to eat carbohydrates um, but they are a source of fiber really important in our diets um, and so I think we need to sort of fall back in love with carbs again and have more sort of you know um, whole grains and fiber rich foods in our diet um, but going slowly with that as well and I think for anybody that's listening who's a healthcare professional um, it's really easy just to say eat more fiber um, but we really need to think about how to help people with this on a very practical basis so um, actually you know sitting with someone going through a normal day for them what that looks like and kind of suggesting really practical changes for them say could they change from a low fiber cereal to a whole grain cereal could they, you know, change to porridge oats? Could they add some more fruit into their diet? You know, some of the tips we said earlier about having kind of whole grain crackers or carrying dried fruits or your idea of a trail mix would be really great. So making it really practical and tangible for people, um, because just to say eat more fibre or aim for 30 grams, um, it sort of it gets lost in, you know, it gets lost. And I think it's um, if we really want to help people, we need to be kind of practical Um and as dietitians, we quite often sort of give people, you know, things to take away. Actually, even if you're giving a patient, um, you know, um, a piece of paper or sort of something that they can, it's actually got a meaningful amount on them. So add a handful of this and that's, you know, X grams of fibre. You mentioned apples, you know, great, they're four grams of fibre. So just giving some people some, uh, giving that 30 grams some kind of tangible meaning, I think is is super important. Um, and then my last half is, again, not diet related. I feel like a terrible dietitian. <laughs> it's about thinking about gut health from a sort of holistic perspective. So obviously diet is absolutely key. You know, your microbes need meals just like you do as well. And, and fibres, they're, they're, you know, the nutrient that they jam on. But um, we need to think about, you know, the importance of exercise and our mental well-being as well, because there's a lot of research that shows that regular movement um, not talking about your bowels now, well, I kind of am, but um, <laughs> regular exercise actually can help to, you know, can help to prevent constipation. But also we know that uh, people that exercise uh, or exercise tends to, um, again, increase the levels of beneficial microbes in the gut. We don't completely understand that relationship, but we know that it happens. Uh, and also we know that when you feel stressed, your gut feels it too. And that can have, you know, we've probably all experienced when we've had an interview, like rushing to the toilet or feeling nervous. Um and anxiety can sort of increase contractions in the gut. Uh, but we also know that on a long-term basis, uh, stress seems to be associated with lower levels of some of these beneficial microbes. So we need to not just take care of our diets, but think, think about kind of adding movement that feels good to us every day and also taking care of our mental well-being as well. I love that holistic approach to it. It's not just about food. It's not just about exercise. It's about how we look after the whole of our bodies. Yeah. Glenn, I'd be really interested to know, what do you do personally for your gut health? Right. Um, <laughs> building on, on what Laura said about, about exercise, I drag my ageing bones around the squash court um, several times a week. Um, first thing before before I go into work, I find it um, bashing a squash ball against the wall is a good way to get you ready for all the abusive emails which have come in overnight, but <laughs> things that need deleting. So th that's one thing, but I do take a lot of prebiotics and probiotics. I have done for, for, for a long time. Right. Uh, probiotics, we didn't really talk about, but those are the live microbes themselves which are present in, in certain foods and so so what I do is is I do do take these um, daily. Yeah. 
And what would be the areas that you'd like to see more research done in around fibre? Well, I just feel that with with fibre and prebiotics, um, what we we kind of miss to some extent is that these will not do any harm. Um, and that doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, you say, oh, take a prebiotic, it'll be fine. You won't feel anything negative. Um, but that's not something we can always say because if we take too many antioxidants or too many vitamins and certainly too many antibiotics, there are consequences of that. But with a pro and a prebiotic, you're on very safe ter- territory. So you will either feel the same or better. Um, and so I think that's a, a, a sort of a win-win situation. And, um, you know, in, at the end of it all, we human humans and animals are the ultimate hotels with with trillions and trillions of of guests in there. And like you know, many hotels, some of the guests are going to be a little bit unruly, and some are going to perfectly well behave themselves. And so, if you're walking around with them all the time, you want the ones that are going to behave themselves to be more predominant. And that's why I feel taking things like pro and prebiotics really. Uh, is, is almost a no-brainer. Um, and then there are certain situations where, if for me, it is absolutely essential to to look at fortifying the gut flora to improve health, for instance, as we get older, as we, we already talked about. But, but also, if we're taking antibiotics, um, you know, anybody I know, I almost plead with them if they're in hospital or, or taking a course of antibiotics, please take probiotics or prebiotics because they will definitely counteract some of the side effects that the, the antibiotics can, can exert. And um, some areas of the world they would be prescribed along with antibiotics that does not unfortunately happen in the UK just now but I think it should in terms of the research we need to understand uh, what the benefits of prebiotics are and uh, which prebiotics can do what but I think some of the more exciting areas moving forward are in the whole issue of, of obesity and risk of, of metabolic syndrome. We we do now seem to be at a position where people who are obese and lean do have a different type of gut bacterial makeup, and that has an effect upon feelings of, of appetite, so hunger sensations, feelings of satiety or fullness, and also calorie exchange, because if you get more microbial breakdown of food you get less calories into the body and so you know if we can begin to play with that and begin to introduce a so-called lean person's type of gut microbiome and the way you would do that is with a a prebiotic into people who were obese and at risk of metabolic syndrome type 2 diabetes that could have really really very powerful effects and i think that would be brilliant because this is a massive health issue in the 21st century and um, something as straightforward as altering the gut bugs and having an effect on that condition would be would be phenomenal and um, I know a lot of research groups are kind of aiming towards that and in a similar manner the whole area of, of gut brain um, you know as long ago as the 16th century physicians were saying that migraine and schizophrenia were disorders of the gut not 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 uh, the brain and these kind of got dismissed um, but where we are today is that there is, there is a common acceptance that the gut and brain do talk to one another. The gut is the most active organ in the body, and a lot of the products which are made by the bacteria can have systemic effects even as far as the brain. And we do know that neurotransmitters can be transmitted via the vagus nerve from, from the gut to the brain. And um, Laura said, you know, as an example, when you get nerve 
service, you get butterflies downstairs. Uh, and that's that's not necessarily a, a cognitive output from from feeling nervous. And similarly, if if you're constipated, you often get a migraine or, or, or a headache. And so there are these important signals. And once again, if we can begin to understand the microbes which are producing the positive signals in that regard at the expense of the negative ones, we can then do something about it because you know, let's face it, it is easy to change somebody's gut microbiota. The, the the challenges we face is getting the information out there as to what that can do in terms of health of the people and really what products can 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 help us to achieve that. But the, the jury is really, really out or the agenda is very open on cognitive functions. We're talking about things like anxiety, depression. Um, subclinical anxiety is something which affects millions of people in the UK um, and these are, you know, poor people uh, uh, have very anxious periods and then are okay. And so they're not have gone as far as needing a clinical intervention to deal with that. So there's virtually nothing for them. And that's an unacceptable situation because, um, you know, again, altering the gut flora, understanding the gut microbiome of, of people in, in that situation can help us unravel the picture as to what could be done and help improve the types of neurotransmitters which can affect the anxious or depressed um, symptomology. And then the, the, the research field is really moving through a whole range of other issues from autism, uh, autistic spectrum disorders, right through to dementias, uh, Parkinson's um, and, and other forms of dementia are also being looked at and really trying to reduce the negative neurotransmitters which are produced in the gut and produce more positive ones. And I think this is incredibly exciting moving forward. And um, I think it has very profound and far-reaching effects for, for the health of, of the nation. Are there specific prebiotics that people should look at taking? So if you were going to walk into a shop or as a healthcare professional, you were going to recommend somebody takes a prebiotic, mm. where do you start with it? <laughs> well, Glenn, uh, Glenn could probably answer in terms of what's got the strongest research, but my understanding is that... Um, it's the fructans and the galacto-oligosaccharides, which we have the most evidence for, uh, which would be, you'd you know, be looking at things like FOS and inulin. And certainly there was um, uh, prebiotic supplements that you can buy that, that Glenn mentioned, the ones that you can sort of sprinkle on your food are synthesised. Um, the galacto-oligosaccharides, um, they're a synthetic product. So I think in terms of, you know, the research it's still, it's emerging, I think, in terms of, you know, what's the, those two categories, the fructans and the goss, have the most the most research. Yeah, Laura's right. FOSS and goss are the ones which have been mostly researched. FOSS, as we've already heard, occurs naturally in the diet. Goss is, is synthetic. Um, but those are the ones which have been reproducibly in human studies proven to, to have a prebiotic effect and then there are others where the evidence is is increasing um like like some of the, the starches the the brands we've already talked about the old type uh, materials and then if if people are, are interested in looking at the kind of sources of prebiotics or what their health benefits are and how you take them um, as, as Laura said, individual companies may have good literature on that, but there's also a, a scientific organisation which is dedicated to this science called ISAP, I-S-A-P-P, and that has a lot of infographics, videos, which um, explain these concepts and what, what they can do and what, what really the future research may hold. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. Well, I know one thing I'm going to be taking away is I'm definitely going to be getting more pre and probiotics <laughs> into my diet on a daily 
daily basis and my children's too. Thank you so much, Glenn and Laura, for coming along. It's been really wonderful. And I think you've shared some great nuggets of wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. 